All right, so grateful for Kelsey and Greg helping us out with worship. And I hope that you had an amazing time just joining in to sing. Um, if you've joined us right after the beginning of, of the service, I, did, I, I still want to reiterate how important it is to give ourselves to this moment and to this time. I think that's why, at least for our church, we wanted to do Facebook Live so that I could be here with you and you could be here with me. And so would you just, again, uh, make a decision to consecrate this time, set it apart, have it be a sacred space, put away all the distractions and say, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to our community? I just really want to encourage us to do this. And as I speak to you this morning, even though I'm staring at a lens, um, I just imagine you in front of me, our church. Uh, I miss you guys so much. And um, yeah, as I prepare and as I, as I share this morning, I again just think about where you sit on Sundays, um, where you're serving, and, and the family we have at Renew. And I just am speaking to, to you and present with you and invite you to be present with me as well. Well, our small groups are in different uh, chat rooms, video chats, whether it's Zoom or Facebook or, or Google. And we want, uh, as we do in all our Sundays, to give an opportunity to interact. And so if you're not in a chat, uh, you guys could just go ahead and comment on our Facebook fan page. But we usually open our sermons with uh, a question. And so the question today is, what limits have you felt from the safer at home mandate or the stay at home mandate. And so I want to give us two minutes, three minutes to talk about that in our small groups. What are the ways that we've felt most limited? And I'm sure that we all feel limited by the fact that we can't leave the house unless, unless it's for essential services, which by the way, the government has allowed churches to be in that category of essential services to do live stream. But we've, we've felt limited in that way, but I wonder how it's affected and impacted our lives. What other uh, things that, that it's brought limitations to? Okay, so we'll go ahead and do some um, conversations, and then we'll come back and do the sermon. All right, I'm sure you guys have um, so many examples of the limitations you felt. I think for me, the two that comes up most apparently is like, I love volleyball so much. I really, really love volleyball. I think if I could just have sand volleyball, this would all be okay. <laughs> I'm willing to give up everything else. But it's really hard to not uh, play bas to play volleyball. And it also um, limits in terms of being able to pasture. Uh, there's just so many, so many changes. Church feels so weird to me. And Sunday service feels weird, doing small groups feel weird. And over the last two weeks, having um, one mandate come after another, I just felt like I was reeling, that every two to three days I would be changing up how we did service again, how we do small groups uh, again. And it was just so frustrating. It felt so limiting. But what's interesting is that limits have always existed in our life. Maybe we feel it most potently during this time, but we've always been limited. We were limited by our personalities. Extroverts have a hard time sitting alone and reflecting. Introverts have a hard time making small 
small talk with random people. We're limited by our resources. No one has all the money in the world. We're limited by our time on this earth. We're limited by the gifts that we have, the talents that we have. We can't be good at everything. Um, we're limited by our family of origin and our, and our personality. And then we think about even in Eden, there were limits. So on the second slide, we look at um, how there's limits even at creation. And so when you look at Genesis 1 and 2 as a believer, as a theologian, they are massively important chapters of the Bible because when it happens before the fall in Genesis 1 and 2, it's saying that, that it was meant to be there. It's the way God designed it. It wasn't because we were trying to compensate for sin or for the world being fallen. It's saying that this is how God created us to be. So um, in our second slide, we've always had limits, even in Eden. And we think about the way God designed us in perfect relationship with him, with each other, with the earth, and how even then he's put limits in our lives. And so, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we see that God rested on the seventh day and he commands us to rest as well, that we're to work six days and rest on the seventh. So even in, the, even in Eden, when work was for the Lord, filled with purpose, uh, creative, that God had designed in our human rhythm to stop working after six days, to not do for him and instead be with him in a focused and rested way. In Genesis chapter 2, we see a second limitation that God puts on Adam and Eve, that he uh, made all the trees in the garden. In verse 16, it says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will surely die. So not only does he put a limitation on work, but he puts a limit in Adam and Eve not being able to eat from a specific tree. And, and that tree represented an active trust that they would have towards the Lord. That this limit actually allowed them to trust in the Lord, um, to love him, to exercise their will in being with him. And in their limit, they also saw that God was God and they are not. And so when we think about limits, it's often frustrating. We have a culture that's always telling us to break through our limits, to fight them, to ignore them, to work until you know, we, we fall apart. But God's placed limits in our lives. And when I think about that, I think about how there's four purposes that come out of embracing God's limit in our lives, four purposes. So when we think about limits, we think about what are the good parts of embracing God's limits. So the first slide I have, limits allow us to thrive. And this is basically a graphic of how to baby-proof your house. So with me, I have two small kids, one's three, one's uh, four months. And when you have little kids, you look at your home and it starts to look totally different because you, you find all the ways that your kids can get injured or die. And that's what baby-proofing does, right? Um, you anchor your TV so your child doesn't get smashed by it or other items in the house. You put up a screen on your fire pit so your kid doesn't walk into fire. 
<clears throat> you put up covers on your electric outlets so that your kids aren't electrocuted. You put up gates on your staircase so that your baby doesn't fall down a flight of stairs. And what are you doing? You're creating a safe space by putting limits on things that are dangerous so that your child can thrive, so that he can be healthy, so that he doesn't get injured. And we use this term safe space a lot, don't we, as millennials. And doesn't safe space mean that we put limits? Maybe it's uh, social limits on people that are toxic in our lives. Maybe it's blocking people on our social media that are bullies. Maybe it's putting limits on things that trigger our depression and anxiety. And in the same way, when God gives us commands, when he tells us what not to do, it's to create a safe space around us so that we can thrive. I think about how I put some safe, uh, some limits in my life. Every electronic device I own has uh, content blockers, right? So that I don't give myself into addiction. I, and that actually has created a, safe, a, a sense of safety for me as I pick up my phone, as I go into my laptop, as I'm in my home, that these limits are allowing me to be safe. The second uh, picture I have is a Formula One. And we think about the power that a Formula One car has. I've been watching the Netflix documentary. It's awesome. Uh, it's able to go up to 200 miles an hour. The drivers are super intense. But the power of this car and driver is only able to be harnessed in very specific limits. It has to be on perfectly paved asphalt. The, the car has to function with precision. And you just see episode after episode, a car not working optimally and them losing the race. Uh, a car coming off of the, the track, off out of the limits, into gravel or grass, and then it spins out or they lose the race. In the same way, if we want to have purpose in our life, if we want to harness our abilities and our power, we're able to do that best when it's focused. And that focus is defined by the limits we put in our life. If you think about Michael Jordan, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. But basketball has very specific limits. You put a ball through a hoop, there's lines on the ground, you play by a certain set of rules, and he's excellent within the limits of basketball. And then he went to baseball. Totally different game with different limits, and he wasn't the best player in baseball. He wasn't even a good player. So we're, when we embrace our limits, the commandments that God's given us, we're able to thrive. We're able to have a safe space in which we're optimizing our purpose, our talents, our gifts. The second way in which um, we, we are blessed by embracing limits is that God's limits help us to depend on others. And we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 to 20, where God describes a community of believers as different body parts functioning together. So in verse 15, it says, Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. Or if the ear should say, Because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. 
if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all part of, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, it's a weird time to be a part of a church. Um, in some ways, Renew and many churches in our area has been stripped down to its core. There's no stage. We can't even meet in our building. And I think for church leaders, but probably for all Christians, we've had to rethink what church is. What makes us part of a church? If I live stream into Saddleback, am I part of Saddleback Church? Is that is attending a church, does that make me part of a church, a community? And I think this verse helps us understand what church actually is. That we're a part of a community, of a church, I would say first, when we are known and loved by people in the community. And secondly, when we know and love people in the community, we are a part of the church. And secondly, we're a, we're a part of a church when the community is dependent on us and our gifts, and we are dependent on the gifts of others. There's an interdependentness when we are truly a part of a church. And I think about even right now, we're, no, none of us are, have every gift. right? We are so thankful that Greg and Kelsey led us in worship today, and it wasn't me. That I'm dependent on their gifts. I'm dependent on Kenan's gifts to set up this live stream and to, and to handhold me through that process. I'm dependent on gifts of admin because I'm a big picture pioneer type of guy. And we're dependent on each other for, for mercy when we're hurting, for acts of service, for people who are gifted in teaching and administration. And I, I think more than ever, we've seen our church lean on each other and depend on each other because of COVID-19. In the next slide, I've seen our church pursue God together and deepen relationships in really profound ways. And in some ways, I would say our church has been more beautiful, has grown deeper in the last two weeks than I've ever seen it as, as your pastor. I love the way that two of our small groups have met together before live streaming in video chat to just pray with one another an hour before service. Another member of a small group talked about how they discussed the sermon for an hour after service and that they've never done that before, right? That we usually end service, we loiter, we catch up with one another, we talk about where to go to lunch. And she was saying how amazing it was to digest the sermon after Sunday service. I think about the watch parties that have gone on as we sat together and watched movies, played board games, or just prayed for each other over different Facebook threads, uh, sharing testimonies and encouraging each other, and how long we've been willing to sit together in small groups over Zoom or, or Facebook. Um, it's just been amazing to see our small groups do Bible studies together over you version of the Bible or our staff meetings. We've led um, the day by day devotional. And I remember that first day uh, our staff came up with the idea. They asked me to lead it. And I just started the day with eight or nine 
brothers and sisters in our community. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for them. But it ended up being my best day where I started a day just in silence, um, working through scripture with, with, with you guys. And it just set the course of my day in a totally different way. And then I, I realized this wasn't for you. This was for me. That this community in so many ways was for me to pursue God and to deepen my relationship uh, with, with members of our community. And then also, thirdly, I see a God's limit helping us depend on the Lord. And so here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we see Paul talk about the limits that God's placed in his life. And I do want to specify that we are talking about God's limits, right? That we all ha we'll have personal limitations that God's calling us to break through. We'll have limits that other places on us that God's saying, hey, shake those off and, and, and move forward. So we're talking about limits that God's placed in our life. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly because of my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Our weaknesses help us depend on God. And we see that in the life of Paul. There's a, a few weaknesses that we find in, in his life. Um, external weaknesses like we, we believe he had bad eyesight because, because we see him write through other men, that other men pen some of his letters. But I think maybe the greatest limit of Paul was that he was imprisoned. And it feels like maybe what we're going through in a lot of ways, being unable to leave our own homes many times. And of course, Paul had it worse. A lot of his life was spent um, in under house arrest and in chains, under, under guard surveillance. And what, a, what an amazing and um, terrible thing to happen to the early church. I mean, Paul was the most prolific writer in the early church. He was the greatest church planter. He had planted so many churches in, in the Middle East and in Asia Minor. And we see him bound in chains. And, and how the church grieved over that kind of catastrophic loss from the most uh, prominent church leader of its time. But think about how Paul embraced his limits, that he would rejoice even in prison, that he said prison was a way in which he would advance the gospel. And he, and he did advance the gospel because we see that while Paul was in prison, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Those were Paul's prison epistles. So in prison, although he's not able to plant his, 
you know, 10th, 11th, and 12th church. He's not able to fundraise and, and band the believers together to give money to the church in Jerusalem that was suffering financially. He wrote four books that would echo through eternity, right? That, that are touching our lives, that we're reading, that we're quoting from in this moment because he was in prison, because of his limits. We think about all the limits that God pressed into Job's life. He was, uh, his wealth was stripped from him. His body broke down. His family was torn away from him. And in those limits, he wrote one of the most profound books about suffering and worship that we still read today. If, if Job was not limited in his life, and didn't depend on God, if he just lived a really wealthy life, happy life, from the moment he lived to the moment he died, would we marvel at, at the revelations of suffering and who God is because of Job? When we embrace our limits, it sets a course for, for our life, right? So the vehicle is kind of me and my personal limitations, that as I embrace the limits that God's given me, I have ADD, I have a hard time focusing, I, I'm a pioneer, I'm not really great at counseling or even good at it, I'm big vision, I'm not, I'm not detailed, but in those limitations, I'm able to depend on others and to depend on, on the Lord, and also those limits course how I spend my time and my purpose. But there's also external limits placed on us in a hundred different ways, but also through COVID-19, through stay, the stay-at-home mandate, God has placed limits on our life. And what does it look like to embrace those limits during this season? Instead of fight against it, instead of numb the reality of it through binge-watching uh, Netflix for 10 hours, instead of succumbing to addiction, what does it look like to say, God, you've placed these limits in my life and there's good that will come out of it as I embrace it? You know, for me as a father, it's, it's been really hard to enjoy my kids. But, but I know that that's the season God's placed me in. That I have my children in front of me for two weeks, 24 hours a day with Levi, you know, um, several hours a day with Liam. What does it look like for us as parents to say, God, help me to love and to soak in the presence of my children, to embrace homeschooling even though I'm forced into it? Uh, what does it look like as fathers to put down a lot of work and, and to not kind of manhandle our jobs and to say, man, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities to be with our kids. What does it look like for us to embrace our limits as young adults? That as a church, we've been talking about silence and solitude. We've, we've been training for this for eight weeks. We went to a retreat about it. What does it look like to really give ourselves um, to being with the Lord? To quieting our hearts, to reading through scripture, to reflecting in our lives. What does it look like to sit with our, our, our day-by-day devotionals and to really say, God, how do I learn to sit with you? Every day for, for five minutes, for one hour, for half a day, and to be face-to-face -face with you. What an amazing gift we can have if we embrace that limit. Every day, myself 
and and Pastor Chrissy has done tutorials over Zoom with a small group of people teaching us to sit and embrace the silence. You know, when we are willing to embrace our internal limits and our external limits through the course of our life, it takes us away from comparison with other people and it gives us distinct and unique purpose to live before the Lord. I think about David and and Moses and Job and the way each of them embraced their limits for God. The way that each of them had such a unique calling. How do you compare David's life to Moses or Moses' life to Elijah? David was meant to defeat Goliath. He, He embraced his limit of not being able to be king when he thought maybe he wanted to. And And he doesn't kill Saul in an embrace of his limits, waiting on God's timing. And then he became an extraordinary king for Israel. But Moses was meant to deliver Israel. He didn't fight almost any battles. He didn't write psalms like David did. And Job's calling was to suffer. Isaiah goes in front of the throne room of God. God calls him in the presence of angels to be a prophet. And he says to warn Israel. And Isaiah asks, tell when? And God says, tell this nation crumbles and is defeated. That your ministry is doomed to failure in the way and sight of men. No one repents. And God tells him this as he's calling him. But Isaiah is faithful to the calling of God. He's faithful to the limits of his calling and to Israel's unrepentant heart. When we embrace our external and internal limits, we embrace God's path for our life and we stop comparing it to the path of others. And we live in a unique God-given purpose that he's coursing for us. You know, we all feel this uh, with the stay-at-home mandate. But I, I think if we learn to embrace that, we can learn to embrace many aspects of who we are in, ter- in our limits, externally and internally. And that will cause us, that will allow us to draw, God will use these limits to draw a map of our life that will just be for us. We'll stop ladderboarding um, ourselves with the people around us. And we'll be able to live in a unique calling in the Lord. Um, I love this video that Richie made. And it's him embracing the stay-at-home mandate. And he creates a beautiful video about it. Kind of summing up like what I've talked about today. But really summing up who he is in embracing limits. And, and allowing um, his gifts to flourish in it. So we're going to play this video, and then we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time in worship, and we'll, we'll end our time with some questions for our small groups to discuss and then pray for each other on. Let's play the video. God, I just lift up our community to you. That there is beauty in the limits, even the ones forced upon us, even the ones that are external to us. And I pray, Lord, for our church, 
I pray for us, Lord, because I know it's so easy to waste this time. It's so easy to numb it. It's so easy to give into addiction. But you, you have beautiful purpose in this limit. In us having to stay at home, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to discover and course our life through the limits. To do beautiful things, to produce beautiful work, to, to see your beautiful face. I think about all my brothers and sisters of my church that I know and that I love. and I just imagine them sitting before you um, and finding you this week in new and amazing ways. Creating instead of consuming. Being in your presence instead of being alone. Pursuing you, God. Help us to do that. We love you. We're so grateful for the ways that you make all things work for the good of those who love you, of your children. And we ask that we would seek your good in this. In Jesus' name, amen.